You're not sorry at all. Speaking of you, Financial Peace University starts in January. This young man will be reading, uh, leading it over here. And if you want to sign up for that, sign up sheets out there. We need to get your packets ordered. So sooner the better for us. Um, also, uh, Operation Christmas Child starts this week. Uh, tomorrow, uh, we begin collecting boxes from the area churches. And uh, if you want to join us for that, we'd love to have you. There may not be a lot of work for you to do, but we always have fun. And it's a good time to get to know each other. If you're new to the fellowship and you wonder um, what's your, you know, your, your, your new members program or whatever, that's it. Come and serve with us. Come alongside. Um, those who serve the most around here are the closest. There's nothing you can do about it. You can't help but when you spend time together, get closer and closer to one another. So um, spend some time if you've got it. an hour or two or something. We play games. We shoot each other with Nerf darts. You don't have to do that. But I recommend it. Um, <laughs> we have rubber band fights, everything. I mean, it's a great time. And we have board games and all the other stuff too. So um, join us for that this week. Uh, it'll be going on all week long, all the way through Monday, um, not Monday to Monday. And uh, anyway, those will be the, I think, did you put the hours up? Do we have the hours? Uh, tomorrow is four to seven. And in fact, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday is four to seven. Saturday is, I believe, one to four. Is that right? What's that? Yeah, one to four on Saturdays and Sundays. So right after church, we'll start collecting also. So come by if you can. All right. This morning, we're going to be in Judges chapter six. We're only going to get through one chapter. We have communion today. So um, I was hoping to get through more for first service, but we didn't. Um, Aaron, are you ready? <laughs> Had to give him a hard time. He missed the record button for first service. So we'll get her done this time. Um, the Midianites. We see this story of Gideon. Uh, Gideon's story is three chapters long. We're only going to get into the first chapter. Um, a wonderful story. As we go through the judges, and how does this apply to us uh, tomorrow, Monday? How do I use a story about some guy, you know, thousands of years ago and, and what he did? How does that affect me? Well, what we see here is every judge that's been raised up in the nation of Israel as they are disobedient to God is a restraining force. And as long as they're alive, it seems, the nation of Israel walks with the Lord. And uh, the enemies aren't allowed to come in. When they die, though, that's when the enemy moves back in again. Now, as believers, we, of course, want people to know Jesus themselves. And that's our hope, as they receive Christ as their Lord and Savior. But whether that happens or not, there's also another ministry taking place that Jesus calls in, uh, in, in the New Testament, that which restrains in fact, the Bible talks about the rapture. When that which restrains is removed, that's when literally all hell breaks loose on earth. Um, we're a restraining force. And of course, the restraining force is the Holy Spirit. Um, I'm not saying we are, but as you're filled with the Holy Spirit and you're here on this earth, you are a part of that restraining force. When that which is removed, uh, then everything goes away. So know that. Whether people are getting saved or not around you, you're a witness, you're a testimony, you're a restraining force. And like these judges, as long as they're alive and as long as you're doing and living for Christ where you are, um, there's an effect on people. Um, some people like it, some people don't. And Jesus tells us about that. To some people, you're going to be the fragrance of life. To others, you're going to be the fragrance of death. Um, either way, you stink or you smell. So it depends on how you look at it. And that's what we're called to do. We're called to be that. So we leave off with chapter five of last week where uh, Deborah dies after 40 years. Okay, they had 40 years of rest while she was alive. Then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. So there's our cycle. 
So the Lord delivered them into the, into the land, uh, into the hand, excuse me, of Midian for seven years. So it's going to take them seven years before they cry out to God. They're going to put up with the Midianites for seven years, and then they decide to turn away from their gods. That's what it means when they did evil in the sight of the Lord. They left the worship of God to worship other idols, okay? And then once they got tired of those other idols, and those other idols had put them into slavery, as they all do, then they come back to the true and living God and they begin to cry out and that's when God delivers them. And that was the point of the Midianites, even in their lives, was to bring them back to God. So uh, the Midianites prevailed against Israel, but because the Midianites, the children of Israel made for themselves the dens, the caves, and the strongholds which are in the mountains. And they would know about that. We wouldn't necessarily know about that. But if you lived over there, you were reading this, three, four hundred years after the judges, you'd be like, oh, that's, that's, that's why those are built up there. And so they would point and say, remember those caves up there? They built them during Gideon's time here. So it's just a reference point for those who would read it. So it was, whenever Israel had sown or they had planted their fields, Midianites would come up. Also Amalekites and the people of the east would come up against them. Then uh, they would encamp against them and destroy the produce of the earth as far as Gaza and leave no sustenance for Israel, neither sheep nor ox nor donkey, for they would come up with their livestock and their tents, coming in as numerous as locusts. Both they and their camels were without number, and they would enter the land to destroy it. So Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites, and the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. Okay? So, typical tactics. Um, they didn't utterly wipe out Israel. They probably could have militarily, but they didn't. Um, they just wanted to keep them submissive, basically. Um, we didn't want them growing. A very similar tactic in Egypt when they said, you guys are getting too numerous and they got worried about it. So they said, throw the babies into the Nile. Okay. Uh, kill the babies off because we don't want you, you're too numerous. The population's exploding and, and too much. Same argument today. In fact, in our country, if they're not loved or wanted and just kill them. Uh, the newest Planned Parenthood uh, uh, commercial shows a beautiful little girl being uh, loved, needs to be loved, needs to be wanted, but she also needs to be a choice. It's absolutely disgusting um, video by Planned Parenthood. Anyway, so same thought, same process. It's demonic. It's from the devil. And so that's what these guys would do. They would come in um, and they would try to keep them back. So they'd have a little bit of food to survive. They'd hide it. They'd squirreled away. They kind of planned on that, but they'd destroy everything else to keep the nation of Israel in check. And they were, they were tired of it. So they began to cry out. And it came to pass when the children of Israel cried out to the Lord because of the Midianites, uh, that the Lord sent a prophet to the children of Israel who said to them, now prophets would travel, they go around, they'd say the same message to everybody. Okay, so this is what this guy did um, to the children of Israel. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I brought you up from Egypt and brought you out of the house of bondage. And I delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of all who oppressed you and drove them out before you and gave you their land. Also, I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice. And so before uh, I deliver you, there's a message you need to hear. You've cried out to me, and let me tell you how you got here. You got here because you're being disobedient. And, and that's the first part of repentance. Um, first, we don't like the situation. We don't like where we are. And so we cry out to God for help. And maybe we haven't really evaluated it fully. How did I get here? Why am I here? Uh, but you know you need out of it because it hurts. That's usually why we cry out to God. And sometimes God will take you to his word and say, okay, yep, I'm, I'm here to help, but let's figure out how you got here first so that we don't go around this mountain again. 
You're here because of your disobedience. You're here because you did the one thing and disagreed and, and went against my prompting by the Holy Spirit that I give to everybody. See, every believer has the Holy Spirit and he will scream, no, 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 several times before you jump back into that sin. And you'll have to disregard his warning several times. But finally, he'll shut up and say, have it your way. And then you jump into it. And so he's going through that with them. I told you not to fear the other gods, and yet you did. And the word fear there, and this is interesting, it helps us understand what the fear of our God is. It's not to fear this. It's to worship. It's to know he's the best. He's the biggest. He's the strongest. He's, he's all in all. But you've taken what I'm supposed to get from you, all of that, worship, love, affection, you're my all in all, you're everything, you're big, you're strong, and you've given it to other gods. You've given that fear that you're supposed to have towards me and given it to somebody else, that affection. And that uh, all those attributes have been ascribed to these other gods. And I told you not to do that. You've disobeyed my voice. That's the first thing you have to do to get that repentance started. Now, this prophet's been saying that all over the country. And so now we run into our character, Gideon. Gideon. Now, the angel of the Lord, notice it's capitalized. This means it's a Christophanes, which means it's the appearance of Christ in the Old Testament. Um, I know I say this every time, but there's always new visitors, so I want to remind you where we stand here. Angel doesn't mean seraphim, cherubim, or winged created creature. Angel means messenger. A seraphim, a created creature mentioned in the Bible, is a messenger and can be considered an angel. But Jesus is an angel also, not because he's a created being. He isn't. He's always existed, but because he's a messenger of God. And so when you see this capitalized, the messenger, I'm going to start reading it that way to help. Now, the messenger of the Lord, the messenger, capital messenger, the one of all messengers, you get the idea, came and sat under the terebinth tree, which was in Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abyssalite, while his son Gideon threshed wheat in the winepress in order to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, the Lord is with you, mighty man of valor. Okay, so you've got to get the picture here. When you thresh wheat, I'll give you a little lesson on it if you don't know. Many of you probably know more than I do about it, but you generally, when you're doing it manually, you go to a top of a hill and you beat it. You're trying to get the wheat to fall off and all that. And then you throw it up in the air and the wind on top of a hill would blow it away, all that chaff. All the, and then the heavy stuff would fall back down. You just keep doing that and you keep doing that and you keep doing that, okay? Um, maybe similar to when you're running it up the pipe into your bin, I don't know what you call that, uh, auger up into the bin. You'll have that vent pipe and it's blowing that, the, the dust out of it. Similar to that, is it? Not even close. Mesa's like, yeah, that'll work, whatever. Just keep moving. I'm a non-farmer, so. But you get the gist. Now, he's not on a hill. He's in a wine press. And many of you have seen movies or something where there's you know, a bunch of ladies and they pull up their skirts and they're stomping the wine press. It's just a giant vat. There ain't no wind. So this is super hard to do. We're doing this without wind. He's doing it hiding, because if you do that on top of a hill, throwing up there, it's like sending a smoke signal or a flag. Oh, they got wheat. Oh, we've got wheat. You know, you may as well be advertising it, okay? So I'm going to do it down here where no one can see, but it's a lot harder, but eventually the job will get done. Now, in the past, and I've heard it and I've taught it, I use this as a moment to say, sounds like Jesus is being sarcastic with Gideon. The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor, hiding in the wine press. Ha, ha, ha. I'm going to back off that a little bit now that I'm a little older and wiser and understand God's grace a little bit more and that Jesus isn't as sarcastic as I am. Here's what this guy's doing. Imagine yourself six years into this process 
of planting, harvesting, and handing it over to your enemies. What would you do on that seventh year? I'd be like, plant it yourself. I'm not going to go through all this so I can have you take it out from right underneath me. I'm not going to do that. Gideon doesn't do that. Gideon is doing what he needs to do to make sure his family's fed. And he's actually going against hiding it from the Midianites. And he's going to get as much wheat as he can hidden and socked away for when they come. We're going to be taken care of. He's hiding. He's planning on getting as much as he can out of it. And so there is a little bit of valor there. There is some might there. It is, it's, his, it's his own strength. He's not filled with the Spirit yet. He's not filled with the Spirit of God yet. But he's got an attitude of, no, no, no. We're not letting this happen. Now, on the other side of this, he's also not listened to the prophet. He's heard the prophet, but he's not in agreement with the prophet. And the Bible tells us that here in a minute. So this guy, so we understand Gideon's character, is doing what he needs to do. He's doing what a man needs to do. I'm not going to let these Midianites take my food. I'm going to thresh it. I'm going to store it away. Whatever. And he's doing it. Good for him. Now, God sees this, and he likes it, apparently. It's pleasing to him. He says, you're a mighty man of valor. Now, he isn't filled with the Spirit of God yet, and yet Jesus describes the fact that he's a mighty man of valor now. Look at you. Look at you. How many folks in Israel, how many men of Israel have given up, but this guy hasn't? God is looking for people like that. He's looking for a remnant that still wants to stand up for righteousness, still do the right thing. He's looking for those kind of people, and he will fill those people with his spirit, and he'll deliver a nation with them. It's amazing what God will do. And he sees that in Gideon. Verse 13, Gideon said to him, Oh, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, let me read that better. Gideon said to him, Oh, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, he's questioning. Um, why then has all this happened to us? And where are his miracles, which our fathers told us about, saying, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt, but now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites? He's, he's quoting that prophet. Oh yeah, that's right, he brought us out of Egypt. Well, where is he now? That might of his, in, in this Gideon, is a little sass. There's a little mouthiness to him, you know? I'm not sure he knows who he's talking to. I'm pretty sure he doesn't until this next sentence when the Lord turns to him because his back is to him now. He just got some guy up on top of a hill and this guy's sweating from head to toe, throwing this grain up in the air. There ain't no breeze. The chaff is sticking to the sweat on his body. You guys know what that feels like? When you're haying and you're pulling the hay in and it's just, it's and everything itches and he's just doing this. And some guy in a tree up here, sitting down nonetheless under the tree, Hey, mighty man of valor. He's lucky he stayed in the wine press, you know? Really. If God's with us, Mr. Man up there on the hill, where is he? That's a fair question um, in the sense that Gideon probably didn't, it was rhetorical. I don't think he really wanted an answer. I think he's like, hey, if God was with us, we'd be out of this by now, but he ain't, you know? But he asked the right question. Because God's going to school him. Jesus is going to school him now on, here's why you're here. It isn't because I just left and let these things happen. It's because you left me. The forsaking took with you, leaving me, not the other way around. So he's going to take this opportunity. So he's a little mouthy with whoever this guy is. Because verse 14 says, Then the Lord turned to him and said, which means this guy hasn't seen him yet. Hasn't seen his face. He's just heard his voice, maybe silhouette. And now he's looking at him. And everything changes at this point when he sees him. They're eye to eye now. 
And the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours, and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? I like that. Where's God? And he turned to him. I'm right here. This is a shivers moment for me. This is a goose, you know, this is a hair back of, back of your neck stand up moment. I'm right here, and I want you to go in this, and I'll change some words, mouthiness, this sass of yours, this power of yours, Gideon. And now go deliver your people. Have I not sent you? I love it. Now, he now knows who it is because his response reflects that. So he said to him, oh, my Lord, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and, my, and I am the least in my father's house. That's the first sign of humility we see from this guy. In other words, he's seeing, he knows who he's talking to. He's like, I, you know. And he has the same response that Moses has. Remember Moses? I can't talk. Don't send me. I don't talk. I'm, I'm a goat herder. Have been for 40 years now. I don't talk to people. I look at bushes, you know. I don't talk. Send somebody else. And, and Jeremiah, same problem. What did Jeremiah say? I'm too young. Every one of these guys, so don't feel like you're alone in this. Every one of us has that card we pull out in case God calls us to do something. Um, I'm too young, you know. I don't speak well. I throw up. I can't sit in front of people and tell them anything. That makes my, oh, speech class, horrible. We've all got our cards as to why, in case God calls us up, why we can't be used. No, that's not going to work for me. Um, And here's why. God doesn't care about that. We know the catchphrase, God qualifies those he calls. He doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies us. What he's looking for is some guy who's not afraid to thresh some wheat for his family to go against the enemies. You know, to be the guy that's going to be a little bit rebellious here. This Gideon is the guy he's looking for. I need you. I want you. And I want you to go in this might of yours and I want you to deliver. I can't go. How many people have told him that he's the least in Manasseh or the weakest in Manasseh, the least in his father's house? As a younger brother in this kind of environment, you were nobody. I mean, to the point when they were trying to pick David, remember they were going to pick David to be king? Maybe you don't know the story, but he's got a lot of brothers. And he's the littlest. And so they put the littlest, the young kid, clear out in the field. Okay? Put him clear out in the field. You watch the sheep because one of us is going to get picked to be king today. Here's the prophet. He's at our house. And so they go, each one of them. And he thought for sure it was the tallest and it wasn't him. And the prophet goes through them all. He goes, it's none of these guys, but I know he's in your house. Is there any other kids left? Well, there's David. David's heard this his whole life. And so is Gideon. He's always been told, well, you're the little guy. You're the young guy. You're the least. And so he takes that to heart. There is a fine balance or a path to walk of what's called meekness. There is arrogance and pridefulness. And then there is low self-esteem. And then there's meekness right in the middle. And that's where we need to stay is in meekness. Moses was a meek man. Meekness means you have absolute power and control because God's called you, but you're humble and can be used by God. But you're not afraid to do what God's asked you to do. That's what meekness is. But you don't take credit, you give it to God. So humility along with the power of God equals meekness, basically. Arrogance and pridefulness is the guys with the brass scepters who think they could do it as good as Moses, even though God had not called them to do it. And although they were equipped to do it and could do it and probably had the skills, they weren't called by God. So they had arrogance without the power of God. Then you've got low self-esteem, which is where we are here with Gideon. I can't do it. I'm the least, I'm the least. I'm just trying to, I just wanted some wheat today. You know, and so that's where we stand with him. And here's what the Lord does. He takes that insecurity or that humility 
And he adds something to it. The Lord said to him, surely I will be with you. And that's the key. He just added the power of God to his humility, which makes him now in obedience. As long as Gideon's obedient, it makes him meek. And that's where we have to be as Christians. We have to be meek. Don't be afraid of God's calling on your life, but understand it's God's power that allows you to fulfill that calling. Okay? That's meekness. Power and control. I'll be with you. And you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. Remember that. It's going to be not one man, but it could have been one man. Just Midian with God, or just, I'm sorry, just Gideon with God would have delivered the nation of Israel. He didn't need anybody else. It could have been him. And he says that to him right off the bat at the first of the calling. Don't worry about getting a team. Don't worry about getting an organized group. I just want you to deliver the nation of Israel because I'm with you and therefore we are a majority. You're going to win. Just you. That's all I need. If people join you, great, but they don't need to. It's not, obliga- it's not, um, it's, it's not needed. So remember that as we go through this. And it's the same for us today. I don't need another coworker at work who loves Christ. It's going to be so much better now that I have this support. You don't need that. You have the support of the living God. You by yourself at Kawasaki, by yourself, is enough with God. You can win the whole company to know Jesus if God wants to do it. Same with Maryville. Same with New York City. Same with America. Just needs one person. We don't need a bunch. Then he said to him, If now I have found favor in your sight, then show me a sign that it is you who talk with me. Make sure this isn't me. It's hot out here. It's a lot of dust, you know. I want to make sure. And this is fair. And when J.C. was praying that we would learn the love of God, I think we're going to see that very clearly here, even in the Old Testament, how God is very patient with Gideon. I've chosen you. I picked you. Let's do this. If I found favor in your sight, which obviously he has, then show me a sign that it is you who talk with me. That's a very good and honest question. I want to make sure what I'm about to do is from you and not from me. I want to make sure it's godly and God started and not fleshly started, okay? Do not depart from here. Wait, I pray, until I come to you and bring out my offering and set it before you. And he said, Jesus said, I will wait until you come back. Sure. Not in a hurry. I don't have to go right now. Nothing pressing. I'm going to sit under this tree and wait for the offering. Now, this offering's a deal. You want to talk about farm fresh? You know that farm to table kind of thing? Well, let's read it. So Gideon went in and prepared a young goat. Do you know what that means? It wasn't prepared, which means it was you know, right out there. <laughs> he takes it, bleeds it out, skins it, dresses it, butchers it. It's pretty good, isn't it? I practiced that. <laughs> takes that goat and brings it in and begins to cook it and prepare it. And he cooks bread and everything. He makes bread for this guy. This isn't like, hold on a minute, let me go to the fridge and grab you a, a cheese stick, you know, or something, and some crackers. This is a deal. <laughs> the meat he put in a basket, oh, I skipped some parts. So he went and prepared a young goat and unleavened bread from an ephah of flour. The meat he put in a basket, and he put the broth in a pot, and he brought them out to him under the terebinth tree and presented it to him. The angel of God said to him, take the meat and the unleavened bread and lay them on this rock and pour out the broth. So he did. Kind of weird, but all right. 
I'm not going to eat together, obviously. You know, it's all in the dirt now. Then the angel of the Lord put out the end of his staff that was in his hand and touched the meat with the unleavened bread and fire rose out of the rock and consumed the meat and the unleavened bread. And the angel of the Lord departed out of his sight. Now that departed out of his sight is kind of worded funny and you can look it up in the Hebrew if you want to, but I don't, I don't need to do that. His reaction tells me that it was kind of a, a cool departing because it wasn't like he walked off into the sunset limping, limping on his staff, you know. Uh, you know, no, it was like, and then he was gone, kind of wording. And so, pfft, torches the food and then just disappears. And now Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord. So Gideon said, alas, O Lord God, for I have seen the Lord, uh, the angel of the Lord face to face. I don't think I'm supposed to see that. I've been told that anybody that runs into your face dies. They understand that from Scripture. They've been taught that. Nobody sees the face of God. Every kid says, how come I can't see God, Dad? Because you die. And that's what they've been told their whole life. And they're right. The Father, you can't see face to face. But when you see that verse, you're like, well, then how come all these guys saw God? Because they saw Jesus, the Son of God. Every time you have an appearing or a face-to-face -face encounter with the true and living God in the Old Testament... It's Christ. It's beautiful. So anytime you see someone like Moses in the burning bush who talks about take off the sandals off your feet, you're standing on holy ground, you know, and later on we see that, that Jesus says, I'm the holy ground kind of thing. This is me. That was him in the burning bush. All these pictures. Who are you? Are you for us or, you for, or for our enemies? Joshua said, neither. No, he says. I'm the captain of the Lord of hosts. It's Jesus again, you know. Always receives worship. Always receives offering, never rejects it. A real angel, a created being, always rejects the worship. Except for Satan. He's the only one that accepted it. So here we see this beautiful picture here. Um, <laughs> and Gideon gets it. I think I just saw God. Uh, and I'm still alive, you know, I'm still breathing. But he's worried. And we know he's worried because of the next sentence. Then the Lord said to him, peace be with you. Do not fear, you shall not die. So we know what he was thinking right? I'm going to die. You're not going to die. You're all right. I don't call someone and kill them. You know, <laughs> it's going to be okay. Interesting. That's the peace Jesus brings. Very important as we come up on the Christmas season. He didn't come and Jesus specifically told us he didn't come to bring peace between you and I. Now we have peace, hopefully because we're brothers and sisters in the Lord, okay? But we still have conflicts with one another. And so how come there's no peace? Why can't the church get along? Why can't the world get along with the church? Let's just have peace and unity everywhere, kumbaya. No, Jesus says, I didn't come to bring peace. I came to bring a sword. He told us that, to, 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 to divide. I didn't come for unity. Isn't that interesting? I came for division, to, to divide against mother, against son, against father, against daughter. I'm here to divide. But I did come to be the Prince of Peace. Peace between what? God and man. He's made peace between God and man. Our sins have separated us from God. We become enemies of the true and living God. Jesus came and died on the cross for our sins and brought peace to us between God and man. And everybody that's on board with that, we have peace with one another because we're brothers and sisters in the Lord, or we should be anyway. But everybody else, it's a dividing thing. You can accept Christ as your Lord and Savior, just don't act like it. Don't talk about him. Don't mention Jesus as God. That's a divisive thing. That's when you see people's horns come out and fangs come out. That's when they get upset. What do you mean Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life? 
I mean, no man comes to the Father but by him. That's just so narrow. That's when the bangs come out when you talk about Christ. Jesus came to divide. Don't make no mistake about that. But he did come to bring peace. And this is an example of that. No, peace be with you. Do not fear. You shall not die. So Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it, the Lord is peace. He's very encouraged by that. To this day, it is still in Ophrah of the Abyssalites. Now it came to pass the same night that the Lord said to him, take your thoughts. So the, boy, we're getting going now. You know, here comes the calling and here comes your first mission. Take your father's young bull, the second bull of seven years old, and tear down the altar of Baal that your, father has, uh, that your father has, and cut down the wooden image that is beside it, and build an altar to the Lord your God on top of this rock in the proper arrangement, and take the second bull and offer a burnt sacrifice with the wood of the image which you shall cut down. So Gideon took ten men from among his servants and did as the Lord had said to him, but because he feared his father's household and the men of the city too much uh, to do it by day, he did it by night. We could pick on him and tell him that he should have done it during the daytime and all that. Um, I don't know. And here's why. Uh, we don't know how long this process took. This is a big deal, you know. Um, you're going to knock this thing down quietly, I guess. And then you're going to chop it down, and then you're going to start a fire, and then you're going to put a bull on top of it. And all, but this is going to take some time. Maybe he didn't want to get interrupted. Maybe he was afraid the people were going to stop him from completing the task. So he thought, no, I'm going to do this in the cover of dark. By the time they wake up, it'll be done, kind of thing. So I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt. Um, that he wasn't just a fearful coward and just didn't want to be seen, didn't want to be known. They're all going to know who did it. Look what it says in this next sentence. As he tears this down, it's his dad's, by the way. Okay, and everybody worships this Baal God. And when the men of the city arose early in the morning, there was the altar of Baal torn down and the wooden image that was beside it was cut down and the second bull was being offered on the altar which had been built. It took that long to get to that stage. So they're waking up going, what's happening? Ah, you know, our God fell down. And, and, and there's the bull just getting sacrificed on it, you know. Whoa. So it took some time to get this done. There's this... Uh, there's this, I, I grew up in Sioux City, Iowa. That's where I'm from. And uh, there's this idol there. It's called the Queen of Heaven, basically, Queen of Peace. And it's on top of a bluff. And it's like this, I don't know, 150-foot statue, stainless steel statue of Mary. Gigantic thing. And when I, I didn't believe, when someone told me that was built, it was built after I left and had, had gone and you know, moved on and everything. I came back and said, no, they didn't build that. As I'm just brand new believer reading about idols and all this stuff, I said, well, we don't have idols anymore. And then I drove up on top of this bluff and there's this thing. I mean, it's gigantic, huge stainless steel Mary, you know? And I'm looking where I could hook up my truck to it, you know? I'm thinking this thing's got to come down somehow, you know? If I hit it, I'm going to bounce. I mean, it's solid steel. There ain't no way. And so I'm thinking this through. And I'm like, well, God didn't call me to do that. Um, and so I didn't. It still stands to this day. But um, man, and there they all are worshiping all around it. I'm like, oh my goodness. Wow. Just, you know, it grieves your spirit to see something like that happening. In, you know, come on. Um, Queen of heaven puts him above the Prince of Peace. Are you kidding me? You know, No. Mary was a blessed woman, and to be the, the, the mother of God is amazing, you know, to be the, the, the birth mother of Jesus. But Jesus has always existed. We just covered that. She didn't create him. 
Um, and she knew herself that she was a sinner that needed grace. She says that in her Magnificent. She says it herself that he is my Savior. Um, so there's no argument about where she stood, obviously. There this thing is. So I'm picturing this in my mind. That takes some time, you know? A couple rams with the truck, boom, sound like a bell going off, you know? So him doing it this at night, I can kind of understand, you know, what's going on here. I can feel for him. So they did it. So here's what they say. So they said to one another, who has done this thing? And when they had inquired and asked, they said, Gideon, the son of Joash has done this thing. Then the men of the city said to Joash, bring out your son that he may die because he has torn down the altar of Baal and because he has cut down the wooden image that was beside it. We're going to have to kill your son for killing our God. <laughs> and, and, and Joash hears the irony in that. I mean, he hears the foolishness in their tone. Okay, you want to kill my son because he killed your God? Let's hold on a minute here. But Joash said to all who stood against him, would you plead for Baal? Would you save him? Let the one who would plead for him be put to death by mourning. It's fair. I think that's what any dad would say. This tells me a little bit about Joash's heart. We don't know, but I like to read between the lines sometimes. He's not infatuated with this idol. Probably cleared his view a little bit. <laughs> I can see better now. This dumb thing's not my way. Who knows why he built it? Maybe it seemed like a good idea. Maybe it was a community effort. Hey, you know, Joash, you've got the highest hill. Can we use your land? Yeah, I guess. Whatever. Be good for business if you put this on here. Whatever. You know, he's not in love with the true and living God either. Don't get me wrong. But when it came to this God that he built and his son, no, 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 no. No one's killing my son today. So you got you to give it to him here. So Joash says, yeah, uh, somebody can come and try to take my son, but I'll put him to death. If he is a God... Let him plead for himself because his altar has been torn down. In other words, let's stop worshiping wood. You know, we're worshiping wood. It doesn't do anything. We've, all, we've got to stain it. We've got to seal it. It's cracking. We've got to replace it, repair it. I don't want a God that I've got to have that much maintenance. I want it to him to kind of stand on his own, you know? And so let's worship the true and living God. Therefore, on that day, they called him Gideon, Jerubbabel, saying, let Baal plead against him because he has torn down his altar. So that's his new nickname. Gideon gets a new nickname from the gang, Jerubbabel. Um, and that's what that means. Then, now, second part of the story. Then all the Midianites uh, and Amalekites, the people of the east, gathered together and they crossed over and encamped in the valley of Jezreel. But the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. Now, underline that because this is the first time the Spirit of the Lord has come upon Gideon. He's done all these things so far in his own strength. Just because, yeah, I'm going to be obedient to God, talk to him. But when it comes to doing the final battle here and, you know, God's tested him, given him a few you know, tasks to do. For, let's tear down your dad's altar. See if you've got enough guts to do that. Let's do some things. He's done it. Now the spirit of the Lord comes upon Gideon. Then he blew the trumpet and the Abyssalites gathered uh, behind him. Uh, and he sent messengers throughout all Manasseh who also gathered behind him. He also sent messengers to Asher, Zebulun, and Naphtali. These are other uh, tribes in the nation of Israel. And they came up to meet him. So he's got 32,000 fighting men behind him saying, yeah, let's go. He sparked something, hasn't he? You know, let's go, uh, Jerubbabel, ha, 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 Gideon. Let's go beat these guys. They've all been kind of wanting this. They're all kind of ready for it. And sometimes it just takes one man or one woman who's filled with the Spirit to say, let's just go do the right thing. Let's go. Yeah. Yeah, let's do this. Now, he's going to whittle this down, but the heart's there. He blew the trumpet and they showed up. I like that. They're scared to death. 
Next, next week, we're going to find out that 22,000 of them want to go home because they're scared. But they came. All right? That's a good, yeah, so let's just give them that. They came today. 32,000. So Gideon said to God, if you will save Israel from my hand, or by my hand, as you have said. So there's his first problem. If, and you said. You never want to have those together. If God said it, it's going to happen. But Gideon's not so sure. If, look, here's what I want you to do. I shall put out a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. If there is dew on the fleece only and it is dry on all the ground, then I shall know that you will save Israel by my hand as you have said. And it was so. When he rose early the next morning and squeezed the fleece together, he wrung the dew out of the fleece and uh, a bowl full of water. Then Gideon said to God, okay, so it happened. This is where we get, you want to lay out a fleece before God. You want to see if this is what God really wants you to do. Was this my head or was this God's spirit leading me to do this? And so they have this moment. And now he's not sure what happened here. Was that just a barometric thing? You know, was that just how it was going to be? So he says to God the next day, don't be angry, but let me speak just once more. Let me test, I pray, just once more with the fleece. Let it now be dry only on the fleece, but on all the ground, let there be dew, just in case it was going to happen anyway, and it wasn't a really good test. Let's reverse it, because that can't happen. The very next day, you can't switch, you know, dew points. Uh, let's switch it here and see what happens. And it did. Um, and God did so that night. It was dry on the fleece only, but there was dew on all the ground. So now he knows. Now he knows. Um, Bible doesn't tell us either way whether this was a good idea or not. And so I have an opinion that I'll share with you. I just don't think it should be a habit for us to be laying out fleeces every time. Sometimes you really don't know. Is this of me? Is this of God? And you want to know, and that's noble. I mean, it is. It's a noble thing to want to do the will of the king. Okay? But there are other times where eventually we need to learn our father's voice. And we need to know what our shepherd's voice sounds like. And when he says it, we can just do it. Um... I, I don't mind clarification sometimes when my kids ask me something. Now, Dad, did you mean this or that? But I, I don't want them laying out fleeces when I put out notes for them to take out the garbage. If this was really written my, by my dad. <laughs> you know? No, 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 no. Take out the garbage. Eventually, God ought to... It says in the Bible that he, he, he wants to guide us with his eye. That means we've looked so steadfastly at his face... We're so focused on the shepherd that when he looks one way, we wonder what he's looking at. We begin to get focused on the exact same thing he is. He can guide us with his eye. There's no words even. It's like, what's God interested in right now? Oh, he's doing something over here. I wonder what he's doing. I wonder if I should be a part of that. And you begin to pray that way. He wants to guide us with his eye. So lay out your fleeces appropriately. And what I mean by appropriately, I know we got to get going here, but sometimes when we really want to do something and we kind of want to make it God's will, We'll lay out a fleece so easy. Like, may God, may someone say hello to me today. And then I'll know. You know, it's like, okay, well, odds are. Or something impossible, if you don't want to do it. You know, reverse the curvature of the earth. Invert us, God. You know, it's like, no, 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 no. You know, that's not going to happen. That just messes everybody's life up and their day up. That's not going to happen. So find your, find your fleece that's, yeah, supernatural, but, you know, I don't know, possible and private, you know. Um, so that's my, that's my take and my opinion on the fleece. Now, we're going to have communion here because we can't get into the rest of this. Next week's going to be awesome. Read 7 and 8. We'll probably do both chapters next week, um, but it's going to be good as we see Gideon's life 
uh, his, his ministry filled up here. It's really good. Um, but we're going to have communion now. So um, they're going to hand out bread and juice in our little cups and little broken pieces of bread. And uh, I want to talk to you about it before we do it, like we always do. Um, when, when the guys hand this to you and, and you have it in your hands, keep in mind that the little bread represents the broken body of Christ. Represents. It reminds us of. It isn't his body. It's a reminder of what he did for us on the cross. In fact, that's what Paul says in Corinthians when he tells him about this on the night that Jesus was betrayed. While they're having their Passover meal, he took the bread, broke it, handed it out to the guys and says, take and eat. Do this in remembrance of me. As long as you eat this bread, do this in remembrance of me. This is my broken body for you. Now, it wasn't his broken body then because he didn't die on the cross till the next day. It's not his broken body now. Okay, so keep that in mind. This represents the sacrifice that Christ made for us. It's his broken body. He also took the cup and they called it a communion cup at the time because they would really truly share it. One cup for everybody and they pass it around. You know, anybody want to sip? And they pass it over to him. So we picked up that cup and says, this is the covenant the cup of my new covenant, the blood of my new covenant. And as often as you drink this, do this and remember me. Now, it wasn't full of his blood. He hadn't died on the cross yet. It represented that. In other words, drink of it. His new covenant has fulfilled the old covenant. But he's also replaced that old covenant with the new covenant. You can't have two contracts in force at the same time. This new covenant not only fulfills the old covenant, but it replaces it at the same time. We have this new covenant in Jesus but we no longer sacrifice. We no longer have the feasts and, this, and all the things that foreshadowed the coming of Jesus that all spoke of him, Colossians says. Colossians 2 tells us. But that's all been fulfilled in Christ. Christ is now the one who casts that shadow. We have him now. So now we worship him and him alone. We don't do all that other stuff. That's why we don't sacrifice lambs anymore. We don't, we don't do that. He is the lamb that takes away the sin of the world. We have that now. And so now, what do we do to remind ourselves of that? What has he given us? He's given us this moment right here. We have this little piece of bread and this little cup and we're reminded of the sacrifice Christ made for us 2,000 years ago. That my sins separated me from him and he nailed my sins to his cross so that I could be free and considered sinless. His righteousness was imputed to me. I have the robe of Christ's righteousness on. It's amazing. And he's given that to us as believers. And that's what Paul was trying to share with the Corinthians. Now he went on to say there, that when you eat and drink, you need to do it in a worthy manner. Don't eat or drink in an unworthy manner. And that's when everybody gets kind of worried. Well, what's an unworthy manner? Well, Paul explains it. It's to know everything about Christ, that he's the Savior, he's God come in the flesh, that he died on the cross for your sins, but you do not accept him. You're going to get to heaven on your own. You're not going to be submitted to this man. He's not going to rule over me. And you eat and drink. You eat and drink judgment to yourself, he says. He tells you at that point, you probably need to set your bread and your cup down on the floor. He says, better yet though, and this is a paraphrase, it's better that you judge yourself. If you're not in that believing place now and you're holding this bread and this cup in your hand, you're not sure if you should set it down or not, Paul would stop you and say, judge yourself right now. And then you won't be judged later. In other words, you look at your life and say, yeah, my life has separated me from God. My sins, my, my disobedience, all of it. I, I can't be in the presence of a holy God the way I stand. I need a savior. You judge yourself. I need someone to help me. And then you realize Christ is the one who's done that for you. And you accept him right now this morning. Jesus, I receive you as my salvation. I receive you as a sacrifice for all of my sins. And I believe on you and I trust in you. That I'm going to heaven because of what you've done for me, not because of my good deeds. My good deeds from here on out are because of the salvation I have in you. 
and I trust in your sacrifice at the cross that you died for the sins of the world and that included mine. You're good then. That's a worthy manner. None of us are perfect. None of us had a perfect week. Um, And that's why we need this, to remind ourselves, thank goodness it has nothing to do with a perfect week. It has everything to do with a perfect man, God come in the flesh, dying on the cross for our sins. So we're saved like we were when we first got saved, even today. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this. You know we needed reminding. And uh, we're reminded this morning of your love for us, that you died on the cross for us, and that was how you expressed your love for us. That while we were still your enemies, you said you wanted to live with us forever, and you made a way for us to do that. And uh, we thank you for that. And so we're reminded we receive you as our Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're visiting, we kind of have a funny thing here. We smash our glasses right now. Don't do it yet. I'm going to tell you why we do it. Because when you get to that place where you know you need a Savior, you're a broken vessel. You realize you got cracks, you got problems, you've got issues, <laughs> you've got sin. And then when Christ comes into your life, he repairs that. He restores what the locust has eaten and he makes us still earthen vessels, but containers that can hold him. And we carry him with us wherever we go now. When people run into us, hopefully they run into Christ, is the idea. And so all the cracking of the glasses do is to remind us that we're broken vessels, but we're also then repaired and we're made whole in Christ. Okay, so that's what this is about. One, two, three.